you freaking auto? This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Mike. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Where's like the buff dudes at? Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, here we go. Brock and Salt, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app, and all the podcast platforms. Happy Thursday to everybody out there. The world does seem better after a win, after a walk-off win, for sure. Swing, line drive, right field, this should do it. Caballero's coming to third base, and he can crawl home. This is all the way up to the wall, and Cal Raleigh wins it in the 10th inning for the Mariners. One to nothing, the Mariners take down the Yankees tonight in Seattle. They sure did. I was there last night. It was a blast. Uh, I mean, it's certainly nice to go to a 10-inning baseball game that ends before 9.30. I mean, like, that's... I'm in <laughs> like, that's pretty good. Sure. I was saying to, uh, to the guy I was sitting with last night, I was like, you know what? I don't hate the new rules. I, I gotta oh, tell you, oh, like, whoa, I, whoa, I don't hate them. Whoa, whoa. I don't hate it. I'm not saying I love it. This, this is, I, I don't hate it. Huh. It you hasn't done huh. as much to take away from the tension of the games. I thought it would. So I will tell wow. you, I don't hate it. This is a revelation is at a six in the morning. Big news. I absolutely still hate the runner on second base runner. to start the 10th inning. <laughs> okay. yeah. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's absurd. I think two teams well, now that we know were maybe un- you'll come around someday. No, I don't think so. I think it's really <laughs> stupid. Certainly, I was happy to be able to leave because I was getting cold last night and I wanted to go home but didn't want to leave, if you know what I mean. But I uh, I think it's dumb. I don't think there's any. Also, I think they could probably change the whole mound visit thing now that they have the new rules in place. But whatever. I like that those games are going that quickly. What I was thinking last night is I haven't heard of a single violation of an infielder having their heels on the grass yet this year. I haven't heard of that. And I haven't seen it really play out where the um, where the pickoffs have really come into play where the guy has you know, had two interruptions and the next one is going to be a, I haven't really seen that show up either as an issue. And I haven't seen anybody get to go to third because, or, you know, to another base because of a, an extra pickoff move, but whatever. I mean, like sure. ultimately the clock has been the thing that has changed the most and, and the shift. Obviously I always liked the shift stuff. I was fine with that from the beginning. The clock's pretty good. So I'll, uh, I'll put it out there. I'm not, I don't have a problem with it. All right. That's good to know. Now, hold on a second. I reserve the right to change that opinion during the playoffs. Oh, when you really want the ratchet yeah. up. I'll, I'd like to see what it looks like in the playoffs and whether or not I miss it in the playoffs before I formalize that opinion. But I will say I don't hate it as certainly not as much as I thought I would. So, Well, this is almost as big a news as what's going on in the Pop-Tart world. The Pop-Tart world is big. They're sponsoring a bowl game? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's just sponsoring a bowl game. They're Uh, ripping one away. I know, right? It was the Cheez It Bowl, and now it's going to be the the Pop Tart Bowl. Are we going to dump a Gatorade thing full of Pop Tart? I mean, that would be a a dream come true. (laughs) Like Cal last (laughs) night getting doused with the uh, bubble yum. Like, how nice would that be? Just raining (laughs) Pop Tarts all over you. I could finally try that banana bread flavor that looks pretty good. Uh, it was interesting watching these two teams over the course of the last few days. I mean, the Yankees look so big. Every I don't know they got so many just huge dudes, tall, big guys on that team. And for two games, they just completely bashed you to death with their with their bats. 
And then last night, right, you hold them essentially silent with just ridiculous pitching. I mean, Court Kirby was ridiculously good, and Topa was good, and Seawald was good. I mean, just finding ways to shut down that team. I thought this was a really good point made yesterday by Ryan Divish on the station about what these two offenses are like and the difference between them. We just saw, like, if you don't perform, you know, against anybody, they're going to hit. You know, I was watching the other day, you know, the Braves lost to the A's. J.P. Sears shut them down. You know, they scored one run. I mean, I, the Braves, in terms of roster and lineup, is the best. are the best team I've seen this year. Not even close. It's the best team I've seen in terms of talent, overall depth. I don't look at anybody in the, in the, in the big leagues and say they have an elite roster. I mean, the Padres have a damn close elite roster, and look what they're doing. I mean, it's all about performing, producing. Talent is talent. But, like, it don't really matter. Like, for the Mariners, you know, when Julio and Ty and, and their main guys are performing, they're pretty decent. It's when you get the other guys to perform a little bit where you take the next level. Like last year's success, Sam Haggerty was good last year, was productive in the way they used them. That helped them get to where they were at. While they were getting expected production from the normal guys, Cal Raleigh took a step forward that maybe wasn't expected. That's how they got good. Right now, they're not getting production from the main guys or their kind of lesser-known guys. Yeah, and I think the point he's making is you look at those two lineups, Yankees and Mariners on paper, and yeah, obviously one team has Aaron Judge. But the Yankees lineup that they've been rolling out there the last few days really isn't better than the Mariners. They're performing better. They're executing better, right? What they're doing, certainly they're they're succeeding more in terms of their offense. But I don't know that the lineup is that much better. And I agree with Ryan on that. I, I think it's a it's an accurate point and just speaks to kind of the lack of execution we've seen so far this year. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know why it is or what it is. I don't know why, you know, we more you and I were kind of going through this at 930 yesterday, right? I mean, just going through these guys that just haven't been the same players they've been in the past, right? Julio, until recently, and nice to see him with two more hits yesterday. Eugenio Suarez, who has not been close to what he was a year ago. Teoscar Hernandez, who has not been the same player that he's been in his career. Cal Raleigh, who started to pick it up better in the last couple of weeks, which is good. Uh, Throw Ty France's name onto that list. Sam Haggerty, who's done bubkis. A.J. Pollock, who's done nothing. I mean, like, unfortunately, those guys just, Colton Wong, too, haven't executed the way you would hope that they would, given their career performances. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what to make of all that, other than that, you know, that's sort of the situation you're in. And hopefully, eventually, that's going to turn. And if it does... You've got a ridiculously good team. You just need to get that kind of execution from everybody. One other thing I liked last night, I just found myself thinking about this. So Kirby, I mean, so good. So good last night. As good as he'll look, right? Eight innings of shutout ball against the Yankees. He's from New York. Not the city specifically, but from New York, right? A lot of Yankees fans in his family. Justin Topa, who gets out of the jam in the 10th that was not his fault. Right, get an error, bad play. What are you going to do? Still finds his way out of the bases loaded situation from the New York area. I think he's from Bell- uh, uh, Birmingham, uh, Binghamton. Excuse me, not Bellingham or Birmingham, Binghamton. <laughs> he's from Binghamton, New York. And then I and, and and then found myself thinking about how we've seen this over the last couple of days. Right, remember Taylor Sacedo 
who's from here, right, coming in to pitch and get the Mariners out of that big jam on, what was it, Sunday? It was really cool. You know, obviously you come to these games as a kid, you see that, and then you get to live in that moment. It was just like those emotions just kind of came out of me, and I was super excited to just be in there and obviously get, keep my team in the, in the game, and it was great. Yeah, I mean, talking about his emotions, right, pitching for his hometown team in that moment, I thought about Cal Raleigh going into Fenway Park a couple of weeks ago oh, and yeah. becoming the first catcher to homer from both sides of the True. plate there when, you know, he's got a lot of Red Sox uh, history with him. His dad played in that organization. It means a lot. I mean, I, I grew up a diehard Red Sox fan. My dad played in the org, uh, you know, obviously family from Vermont and, you know, the whole, you know, New England area and be able to do that is uh, something really cool and something that, you know, never take away. Yeah, so you put all those things together. I don't know. It just kind of got me thinking about baseball players maybe seeming more human now than they used to. And I don't know what that is. Maybe it's me. Maybe I've changed and I'm noticing stuff like that, you know, as a dad and all that now that I wasn't when I was younger. Being a dad and being softer, like you said. It it might be because I'm softer. Yes, I will put that out there as a possibility. I don't think that's it, though. I'm willing to recognize that it's true, but I don't think that's it. I I think that's a trend in sports and athletes in general. I think some of it is social media connecting us and them to each other. I think that's a a part of it. I think some of it is a new generation, right? I mean, look, when I started covering baseball, the only thing that I was able to really learn by being in the clubhouses and around the guys and around people that knew the guys is that baseball players were dogs. That was basically the only thing I really learned in those clubhouses. Like, oh, these guys are, wow, cut from a different cloth in terms of how they handle all of the stuff thrown their way. And mm, they didn't treat women in the clubhouse particularly well. It was kind of a bad scene in a lot of cases. I'm not telling you that's perfect now. Obviously, I, I don't know, and I'm not a woman in a clubhouse. But talking to friends, et cetera, and, and hearing the conversations from the guys, that's changed a lot. The, the generation of guys who, who are here now, they're different. They're, they're leading different lives. They're going home afterwards. And I think some of that has been shaped by social media and camera phones and everything else that sort of changed in the world. And hopefully some of it is just, you know, a, a growing up with some different morals and values and everything else. But um, they seem different, mostly in a good way. There are some things that I think are have changed, probably not for the best. But, you know, I think people as they get older, like I am, tend to complain about ah things are worse, better in my day. And I think a lot of the guys, especially in baseball, are better than they used to be. And it and it makes it great to hear Taylor Sacedo talk about the emotions that he feels when he's pitching for his hometown team. I don't know whether you would have gotten that 15, 20 years ago. Same with Cal Raleigh. I think, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you get, yeah, it's just two home runs. Yeah, whatever. And now you get, yeah, I'm in touch with this. Right, George Kirby was amped up last night beyond the norm to go shove and tell and show all of his friends that that's what he can do against the Yankees. That's awesome. Good for him. And I feel even better about it when it's all said and done. Now, if he just ditched his friends who were these stupid Yankees fans, then I'd really have some respect (laughs) for him because the fact that he keeps that kind of company does not speak well about him or his family. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, just when you want to write this Mariner team off, that's when they come through in a big, big way. This time, the big catcher walking it off yet again. Now the pitch. 
Swing, line drive, right field. They should do it. Caballero's coming to third base, and he can crawl home. That's right. Mariners walk it off for the win. Cal gets the glory, but the credit probably needs to go to the guys on the mound. George Kirby just dominant last night. The wind-up and the one-two on the way. Swing and a miss. Strike three and a fastball. Down goes Higashioka. That is strikeout number seven for George Kirby. He has been absolutely sensational tonight here at home against the Yankees. Yeah, he really was. Went eight innings of shutout ball. Then Seawald came in. He was filthy. Topa got out of a tough spot in the 10th inning that he didn't even really create. Scott Service knows what this is all about. Pitching, pitching, pitching. (laughs) What an outing. You can't throw the ball much better than what George Kirby did tonight. And really... Um, outside the little hiccup, uh, his last time out uh, against the Pirates, it has been some kind of season so far. And he dialed it up tonight. I think we talked about after his last outing. Uh, he got hit around like he's never been hit around. And you know, the question got thrown out, how would he respond? And felt very confident he would respond exactly the way he did tonight. So um, tip my hat, that's not easy to do. And we've gotten obviously banged around here the last two nights. And for him to go out there and just totally take control of the game, um, pretty special. Such a crazy game, man. You give up 10 runs two games in a row, and the next night you win one nothing in the 10th. I mean, that's just baseball for you. Not much offense, obviously, to speak of, but it was nice to see Julio come up with a couple more hits. So they finished the homestand 7-3. and three. I know that it felt awful during those two Yankee wins as they were just blowing you out of your own building, but they finished their homestand 7-3. and three. Head off now for a huge road, th- road trip through Texas, Anaheim, San Diego. Luis Castillo getting it started tomorrow night. Scott's ready for it. It is important. You know, to, to uh, you don't want to get swept heading out on the road. Um, we certainly hadn't played well the last couple nights or hadn't pitched well. Um, it is important. I think it's really important, you know, to win the last game of the series. I, I talked about it. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we haven't done a great job of that this year. But I just it, the mood of the team when you travel, when you're moving on to the next series, you have momentum going. I think it's really critical to win the last game of the series. So nice win tonight again, seven three homestand. We'll take it. We got to continue to build upon this. Uh, we got some teams ahead of us in the standings. There's no question about it. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, a hearty congratulations to Ron Francis, GM of the Kraken, as they agree to an extension to keep him here in Seattle for three more years. He's built a franchise here that looks like Ron Francis. It's competitive. It's balanced. It has grit. It has determination. So today we proudly announce this gentleman is with us at least through the 26-27 year. And for me, it is a dream come true. A dream come true, says Todd Lywicki. And congratulations to Francis. I think that's accurate. I mean, he was a heck of a player, a Hall of Fame winger. And he really did have a great year. Steered this ship. Deserves a lot of the credit for the moves that were made to reshape this roster. If you go through it, signing Burakovsky, signing Bjorkstrand, signing Martin Jones, signing Schultz, finding Sprong, finding Tolvin, and drafting Beneers, extending McCann. That's a pretty good second season for Ron Francis, who's uh, glad that this will continue. It's been a real team effort, and, and um, you know, I'm sitting up here today, and they're saying good things about me, but it's it's a much bigger picture than just me. So I appreciate you being here. I'm excited to be here for uh, a few more years, and uh, hopefully, hopefully everybody's opinion doesn't change. But... Uh, we're going to stick to the plan and continue building it the right way so we can be a great franchise for, you know, multiple years. 
So thank you. Yeah, well, those are big questions, right? How do they go from good to great? They were good, maybe even at times very good this year. How do they become great? How do you use that organizational depth to get better? Guess what? We get to ask Ron Francis those questions as he will join us this morning at 930. Here's the third thing you need to know. All right, Seahawks practice today. Uh, Plan on head out there. More are you coming out to? Heck yeah, Moore and I are going to be out there today watching Seahawks practice, which should be good. Uh, UW and the Pac-12 released their television schedule today, or at least the first few games. They look like this. Uh, Game one uh, against Boise State on September 2nd, 1230 on ABC. All right. Game two at home against Tulsa, 2 o'clock on the Pac-12 network. Well, that's sort of where Tulsa games go. Game three, September 16th against Michigan State, 2 o'clock. Michigan State. Exclusively on Peacock. Is it Michigan or Michigan State? Michigan State, right? Pretty sure it's Michigan State, East Lansing. Exclusively on Peacock? Hmm. Yeah, people are not happy. Hmm. I'm told that was the Big Ten's call, that the Pac-12 had nothing to do with it, but wow, that is uh, not a great sign for how the... Big Ten views the Pac-12 and UW, a school where people think that maybe the Big Ten will eventually kind of relent and want them in. Sure doesn't seem that way based on that information. Meantime, UW softball team will face Utah in the Women's College World Series in Oklahoma uh, tonight, 6.30 p.m. You can watch it on ESPN. And congrats to UW right fielder Madison Husky. Yes, that's her name. As she earns a gold glove for her outstanding defense play this season. All right, there you go. That is everything you need to know. We do that quarter past every hour here on the Brock and Salk Show. I feel like we haven't mentioned one of the biggest moments of last night yet. That JP catch. Oh, I thought you meant the JP stare down. The stare down was also pretty nice. I love to see that. JP had a nice catch. Julio had a nice play out there. There was some really good. It was just one of those games. And, of course, because it was a walk-off against the Yankees last year, the same thing happened, right? Yep. That crazy, beautiful ending, which we thought was the moment that everything kind of started to fall together for him. Because that was in August, right? That Mm -hmm. was a Castillo start. Yep. Yeah. it where I was sitting because I was working the game last night. Everybody that was in that control room started thinking like, "What did we do last year at this time? What was it that we played on the screen when oh we had the walk off?" Like they're trying to recreate the moment. That was a uh, just one of those ones where like the the every big play led up to the makings of just that's what makes these games so great. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm trying to say outside of it was. The well, it takes a few of those moments, right, to, to make, make that, that kind way. of a game. It yeah. takes JP making a great diving it takes catch. Takes a strike out. Yeah. It takes the Julio. Dive. Well, you yeah. kind of had it all last sure. night, and and finally Cal getting the walk off win. So mm-hmm. pretty darn cool. And and yes, again, we've said this before. Hopefully, that's the spark this team needs. And by the way, going seven and three in a homestand was pretty good. It's pretty good. If they could have gone eight and two, really would have been like, oh my gosh, this team is really flying now. Instead, you go seven and three. And yes, you did lose the series to the best team you faced in the Yankees, but you keep going seven and three over the rest of the season, you're going to be just fine, especially on this big time road trip they go on now. All right. Uh, story time coming up next is one of our favorites. Don't go anywhere, Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, we got Greg Bishop in the building. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, seattlesports.com. Greg, just one of those guys. You got to have him come in. You got to just hear stories. You need a full hour. 
And just, you know, hear what's going on in the life of a guy who writes some of the most interesting cover stories for Sports Illustrated and always has great behind-the-scenes access. But I, I got a bunch of other things here kind of on my list. I feel but, like every conversation, you guys, it's like a Wikipedia article. Like, right? he says one thing, and it, it, it links to another story. Yes. And then you don't finish that one, and it goes... <laughs> it's just a big wormhole, essentially, <laughs> yeah. right, with uh, with Greg. So let me come back then, because uh, Kyle just poked his head in here and was like, I got to hear more about Russell Wilson was very nearly... a. Uh, uh, an eagle, et cetera. So I had heard that too. My, my understanding is that that deal was basically done and Russ killed it. Yeah. I, you know, I think what I'd say is the Eagles really wanted him. I think they liked his style of play. And I think that makes sense, right? Because, you know, it's similar to Jalen Hurts, mm-hmm. especially when he was, you know, in his prime and a little bit faster, I think, than now. And yeah, my understanding is, you know, at that point in time, Russ wanted to stay here. And then ultimately, that's not what happened. But um, the Eagles were going gangbusters after quarterbacks for a couple of years. And until Jalen, you know, they went into last season essentially saying, we're going to give him everything he needs so we can truly evaluate him. And then he showed himself to be what you thought coming out of the draft. Well, but he's one of those guys. And this is something I just see so often in the NFL. You have to give those guys everything that that makes them them. If you put people in a compromised position and then they don't succeed, you blame them at the end of it and you've missed out on the opportunity. And you know what? This is like it was the most hot button name in the NFL for years. But Tim Tebow was like that when they gave Tim Tebow all of the resources to be Tim Tebow. And I'm not a Tebow fan by any stretch. He said a lot of things that that I don't agree with. But Tim Tebow, the player, when given the right opportunity and and built around him, was pretty effective. Brought a team to a to a playoff series or to a playoffs and then won. Why why would you take a quarterback and then not try to do what he's best at? Absolutely. You know, one of my pet peeves is the phrase system quarterback. Mm. We say that all the time, and it's usually used in a derogatory sense, right? They're all system quarterbacks, every single one of them. Now, some of them elevate the system that they're in. You look at a Tom Brady, you look at Aaron Rodgers. Some of them are great in the system when the system is, has the pieces. You know, there's a whole tier of quarterbacks that are not quite truly elite, can carry you into a Super Bowl who I think just need the right team around them to have a chance to win. I'm thinking of a Dak Prescott, for instance. You know, great quarterback, right? Truly elite but not necessarily the guy that's going to win you a Super Bowl unless he has the pieces. And, you know, we use system quarterbacks like there's four gods, you know, that play that position, and then everybody else needs the system. They they all need it, and they all need good players. And look at Brady's Super Bowl wins and losses. Look at the receivers on those teams. Look at the offensive lines on those teams. Look at the defense that he played with for the first three titles. I mean— it, it the NFL is so connected, and everything ties together that— you need, yeah, you need to give Jalen Hurts and A.J. Brown, you know, and you need to give him so, a Devontae Smith. So where are you now on the build around a franchise quarterback versus build a roster and not pay the quarterback debate, which seems to be raging in the NFL? Yeah, to me, it's the most fascinating thing, right? Because the guys in the tier that I was talking about, to me, you have to pay them because what's your alternative? How many Geno Smiths are there out there, you know, where you have a guy on your roster who's just going to elevate into a really good quarterback when there's nothing in his history to predict that that would happen. And, you know, to roll the dice like that and be successful, it, to me, was classic uh, Pete Carroll, John Schneider, you know. But in general, I think if you have one of the top 10 or 12 or 14 quarterbacks in the NFL, 
you have to pay them. Ideally, you get them on a rookie contract, you take your shots, but then you're in the situation that Philadelphia is in now. You got a guy you don't want to let go of. You got a guy who can win you a Super Bowl, and you have an awesome team around him. So you pay him. But then in the in the next couple of years, you're going to see they won't have all those other great players around him. Guys are going to retire. Guys are going to get paid more other places. And that, to me, makes what the Chiefs are doing really interesting, right? Because you have a team that reconfigured on the fly last year and won another Super Bowl. You have a team with a quarterback that made that possible. And that quarterback has taken a slight discount to stay. And, you know, I think a lot of the next few NFL seasons will be built around these massive quarterback yeah. contracts that are coming. It's hard for me, though, because like, I, I like Jalen Hurts. I've told you that. I don't know whether if you pay him the same, what, $35 million or whatever it is a year that Patrick Mahomes, some of those guys are making. I don't know whether he can win with a roster that is going to start to, you know, fall apart around him. And so the question is, would you take a Super Bowl this upcoming season if that was the trade-off? Yeah. I think so, right? I mean, and so... But I don't need to pay him for that, right? I mean, like, I don't need to pay him yet. Yeah, you could have kept him for one more year, but then you have disgruntled, you have potential locker room issues. And I, I just think you take your shots while you got them. I mm-hmm. think they got a two- or three-year window, you know, where they could maybe do it. And the Eagles' philosophy is, I think, you know, something all NFL teams say, but few do. And they, they don't want to be what they were under Andy Reid, no disrespect intended. You know, a team that makes the playoffs consistently but doesn't really have a chance to win except for the rare year. They want to be bad in 2020 and in the Super Bowl in 2022. And I think that that, that involves risk-taking. It involves, you know, calculation. And it involves sticking to an organizational philosophy. But it means you're going to go up and down. Have the Seahawks turned into that Andy Reid in Philadelphia team? I would say so. Yeah, absolutely. Now, can they surmount it this year? I like their chances better than in any recent year, but they did more reconfiguring. You know, had an awesome draft, found the right quarterback, uh, had another awesome draft, you know, this past spring. And, yeah, I think that they had become that team, you know, and they were in the playoffs every year. But did you ever think in any of those years post, you know, that moment in Arizona, sorry, to the 12s that are listening, you know, that they had a real chance to win the Super Bowl? I, I wouldn't. I would. I can't think of a year where I felt that way. I think maybe the next year, right? Yeah. I mean, they were still pretty darn good. They made the playoffs. I mean, they were still in the next year or two, but you're right. Since then, it has not felt like they were a Super Bowl winning team. Playoffs, yes, but not at that sort of elite level. And, and I don't know that I feel that they are yet either, but I, I, I see sort of a path to getting there again. Meanwhile, Russ, of course, is in Denver. Talk about systems and all that. What do you see? We we played this sound earlier here. I'll play it for you. Tell me what you think of this from Mike Tannenbaum, who uh, was talking about sort of what it's like and what it's going to be like for Russ this year. Greeny, let me take you behind the curtains. The first meeting in Denver. I worked for Coach Parcells in 1997 with the New York Jets. Sean Payton worked for Bill Parcells. Here's exactly what he said. Fellas, I go by what I see. The best players will play. Russell Wilson isn't fighting for his legacy. He's fighting for his job. He could care about a salary cap charge, dead money. The best players will play. They will draft his replacement if he doesn't do everything he says from day one. If you go back to his press conference, Sean Payne talked about there will be no outside coaches, mm-hmm. mentors yep. in the building. Yeah. He, he is the new Take sheriff control. of town. That's right. And he is beholden to no one, including Russell Wilson's guaranteed money. Is Russell playing for his job, not his legacy this year? It's interesting. I've known Mike a long time. Find him to be one of the more astute minds, you know, that it analyzes and picks and, you know, now is outside of, you know, being an executive. 
And I always thought the pairing with Sean Payton and Russell Wilson was a little odd. You know, stylistically, I think he's different than other quarterbacks that Sean has had. I think that Sean's an amazing coach. I think he'll make Russ better. But I would agree with Mike. I think that ultimately Sean Payton didn't come back, you know, to go 8-8 eight and eight or, I mean, 8-9 and nine or, you know, even worse. And I think that Russell Wilson needs to play better next year. Now, some of that is like, did you put enough around him? How's that offensive line look? You know, he traded one offensive line he complained about for another he'll probably complain about pretty soon. And, you know, again, it speaks to the system a little bit. But I also think we're seeing a player who's not as fast as he used to be, you know, who whose game was sort of predicated on moving around and speed. And, uh, you know, if I were betting, I just... I think it has disaster written all over it. I think he'll be better this year than he was last year. I mean, he looks great. He's lost a lot of weight. I mean, and and that can only help his speed. And if Sean Payton can can tell him, hey, this way or you don't play, you know, to save him the embarrassment, maybe Russ can do more of the off-script stuff and things that have made him special in the past. But is it going to be a Super Bowl team? Is it going to be a playoff team in that division, right, and and all the challenges that exist there? I don't know. I think Russ won't embarrass himself this year the way he did last year, but I don't know whether he can actually have the success that they need. See, that's how I like to live my life, right? Like, just lower the expectations so they're so low <laughs> right. that, of course, you're going to do better. At yeah. least the I crowd's mean, not counting down to help you with the play clock this year, so basically everything's fine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I do think he'll play better, but then you look at their division, right? Chargers could be pretty good. You know, there's that guy, Patrick Mahomes. Yep. Raiders kind of a disaster. But I, I just think that, uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at the landscape, I don't. it would be hard for me to put them in the top 10 or even top 15. We got Greg Bishop with us from Sports Illustrated. Greg, you wrote a little bit about the Kraken and followed some of their uh, playoff run. What did you learn about the Kraken? Well, one thing I learned is there's a huge hockey community here. Yeah. And it wasn't just hockey fever based off the playoff run, but really extends really deep and pretty wide. And my own family caught it, you know. Um, I was telling you during the break, my son has two missing front teeth on the bottom and he's been growing out his hair for almost two years. He wants it to be longer than Rapunzel's. And basically, it's a mullet, you know, and he's five, so he doesn't understand what that is. So <laughs> I, I taught him how to say, who's ready for some hockey? And basically, he's been doing it all around town, you know, Fred Meyer, restaurants, gas nice. stations. So he, he's got the fever. He wears his tentacles on his hands everywhere we go. My daughter, who's 19 months, has a buoy the Troll doll that she's one of her favorites. Of course. And, you know, we we basically locked in. We started watching every game. I went up to the rink in Northgate. Uh, first time I've ever been excited to go to Northgate Mall, uh, I think, in my life. And, you know, I just think that that's a, it's a fun sport to watch. But that team, man, like the two game sevens and the back and forth. And I watched game three at the Angry Beaver, the hockey bar in Greenwood with the owner who's lived through 10 lifetimes in the 10 years he's owned the place. Mm. And to just watch that place fill with the spirit of hockey and the spirit of postseason hockey. I mean, I don't know. I, I barely watched uh, hockey at all before the last couple months, and now I'm sort of hooked. Well, I would think that you're not alone in that. And and as somebody who grew up with the game, watching it, not playing it, but watching it, I, I've made this claim a few times here on this show and in other places. There are times where I'm surprised hockey is not the most popular sport in America. 
And I understand some of the reasons why it's not and, and some of the history and it's challenging to play it. And, you know, in some of the warm weather cities, no ice, no rinks, et cetera. And they haven't done the best job of figuring out how to market it. But it's got everything Americans love in sports. There's plenty of scoring. There's tons of hitting. There's a code in it that is unlike anything else. The guys are open and available. There are so many reasons. And then you get to the playoffs and they combine the excitement and fast pace of the NFL and NBA with the with the incredible tension and anxiety of the baseball playoffs. Hockey's like almost perfect. Yeah, you know, I hadn't thought of it that way, but it, as a storyteller, I guess, at my core, like, I love the tension in hockey. Yes. For all the reasons that you said, like, there's strategy, there's violence, there's scoring, there's switching, constantly switching in, in terms of lines, and it's just, there's really never a dull moment when you really sit down and watch, and then you throw in, like, the what they did at Climate Pledge, the experience there, uh, the oddity of the mascot, you know, Todd Lewicki and everything he's done and the great young players. You know, I just think that this team is going to be interesting to watch for a long time. And we have seen Seattle in my lifetime switch f- into different sports. Mm-hmm. You know, this was a Mariners town and then it was a Seahawks town. Who knows? I, I guess I could see to your point it being a Kraken town at some point in our lifetimes. That would be, I think, a lot. I mean, again, I think that's hard for hockey in any new city, especially one that has some other loves like the Mariners and Seahawks, Huskies, et cetera. But I I do think that you're right, that there's sort of this this community that's been around for a while and a newer burgeoning hockey community that hopefully is starting to understand what that sport is all about. And this is a big offseason for them. I mean, like if they can go out and bring in one more kind of guy to to put them over the top, a real score, somebody who, who who you will have to take notice of to take some of the pressure off a young kid like Beneers, I think that puts them in, in maybe a different class, which would be pretty fun. Yeah, and I think it would be you know fun to watch that, especially with home games in the series. And I think they're building in the right way. It's an exciting team to match a a great arena experience. And then you throw all that together with a, a, you know a city where fans – Flock to winners, no disrespect intended. And I I just think it's all moving in the right direction, you know. 2008 feels like a long time ago when every team hadn't won a game, you know. Like there are a lot of interesting things happening right now in Seattle sports that I find myself drawn to and writing about, whereas for years I, I didn't write anything locally yeah. at all. No, that's a good point. And it's a good time to be doing sports radio here and Brock and I are having fun doing it and just kind of talking through all this stuff. Uh, he's not a Seattle sports figure, but for some reason, his whatever he does seems to be news here, and that's Aaron Rodgers. You mentioned you've interviewed Aaron a few times. As you, as you watch this last few months from the darkness retreat to the, you know, I'm in charge, not them, to now some of the... What do you make of what's happening with Aaron Rodgers? He is a very complicated person. I guess in an overall sense, I would say an athlete in general who seeks enlightenment, we tend to celebrate. And yet with him, it's different, right? Like people don't tend to celebrate his quest for inner peace or calm or whatever it is he's been doing the last couple of years. And I think that's partly because some of his opinions are fairly dangerous, you know, like the COVID stuff, like, uh, you know, the idea that he's a 9-11 truther, which is a persistent rumor that's out there. And I just think that Aaron's one of the more fascinating brains I've ever sat in front of. I remember I did a cover on him in 2015, and he called the day after 
and he was upset. And I was thinking, oh, gosh, what did I screw up? Because I led the story with the astronaut he beat in Celebrity Jeopardy, who Mm -hmm. I spoke with. They had, like, drinks afterward, and Aaron, no lie, asked him about the physics of throwing a Hail Mary. (laughs) You know, and then he beat him on, on the show. And what he was upset about was that the headline, it was inside the mind of Aaron Rodgers. And he's like, nobody can get inside my mind. And that stuck with me ever since because maybe he's right. You know, maybe that is as distinct a mind as we're going to come across and it's hard to really project. (laughs) You know, I tried to write him last season before I went to Qatar for the World Cup. I pitched him on reading what he sent the NFL, you know, like send me your stuff and let's have a real conversation. You say nobody tries to understand you. Here I am standing here saying that I want to try to understand you. Right. And we had sort of, it seemed like it was going to happen. And then while I was in Qatar, their season fell apart. And so did the story. But I'm very interested in trying to get him again, in part because I covered the Jets in 2008 when they traded for Favre and he became the Packers starter. And in fact, about two months ago, I wrote a Jets story where I redid Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire, but with a Jets version. So... We can write anything over here. Harry hey. Truman, Doris Day, Red <laughs> China, Johnny Ray. Yes. Except for it was like a Jumbo Big Cat, <laughs> Altoon. How about that? You know? Yeah. <laughs> Jumbo Elliott, former Giant left yeah. tackle, ended yeah. up going to the Jets. That's pretty good. Uh, the thing to me about Rodgers, and, and it's a good question you asked there about sort of why he's not celebrated. To me, it's because he tries to come off as better than everyone else. And I don't know about you're right. Yeah, some of the opinions are maybe polarizing, but there's a huge group of people that agree with a lot of those opinions as well. Sure. To me, it's more about this this seeming belief that he's smarter than everybody, he knows more than everybody, and he and and by the way, far be it from me to criticize that. I sometimes feel the same way and get accused of the same thing. <laughs> no one all's got to stick together. That's fine. <laughs> but I I think there's an element with him where he's trying to 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 bend everybody, to make everybody bend the knee all the time. And I I think about this story. It's the one more than any other Aaron Rodgers story that's jumped out to me is him telling about the coaches from the Packers coming out to visit him in, in LA and him making them wait by the side of the road because he wasn't back from meeting with his Buddhist friends. And just like, he's so proud of the fact that these coaches who he's supposed to report to really will do whatever he wants. And it just, it feels like such a small man syndrome. It feels like such a guy that, 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 you know, has this weird issue with his family that needs love and support and to be told all the time how important he is to everyone. And I think it just doesn't, it doesn't sit right with people. Would you call it smugness and insecurity? Because I think you're onto something. I think there's definitely something along those lines. I don't know what the right word is for it. I'll leave that to you as a writer. But I, I do think that there's just that element of like, and, and we heard it in the uh, in the athletic article. I don't know if you had a chance to read it yet that came out today. And he's basically saying the same stuff. Justin was reading me some of that earlier. And it's basically like, oh, yeah, Gutenkust came, but uh, I didn't I didn't run him back. Yeah, I mean, he might have texted me a few times. Eventually, I got back to him, and now I'm mad that he didn't want to hang out with me. Like, no, dude, like, you were rude. You were trying to pull a power play all the time, and that's the thing that I think gets me. Yeah, I think that's fair. You know, I think everybody has a friend like that in their friend circle, right? Like, I'm not going to name any names. I mean, we only know know one of your friends, but (laughs) yes, okay. You know, like, where they they just seem like, uh, you know, they they try to check all the boxes, you know? They meditate, Mm. they uh, read, you know, they're a deep thinker in in heavy quotes, and 
you know, they love to tell you, like, I think a good example, right, is he gave them a list of people he wanted with the Jets, you know. And of course then he it, did. And then it comes out. And that's not abnormal, by the way. What is abnormal is for it to come out and then have him go on Pat McAfee's show and say, oh, you know, I didn't hand over a list. This isn't, you know, basically like you, you guys have it all wrong. You're exaggerating. I'm so much smarter than you. And I think that does come across in a way where – it's almost like self-help as weaponization, you know, like as a way to bolster the idea that he knows more, that he's mm-hmm. more in tune, that he's found an inner Zen that we will never find. I think that that comes across in a way that is intended to make him look smarter, but actually makes it harder to sort of embrace. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And, and sometimes smart people are hard to embrace, by the way. And I'm not saying he's not smart. But he does seem to have a belief that he should do everyone else's job. And and by the way, that's not altogether different from what we saw with Russ when he was here. And and unfortunately, the guys he wanted were Antonio Brown and Greg Olson. Like it didn't go all that well when Russ got his way or wanted his way. Absolutely. And I, you know, yeah, with Aaron, like think of the hubris involved in sending the NFL 500 pages of whatever kind of research he had on COVID. Like who would even think that that's something that Roger Goodell wants? Right. You know, like. I wouldn't send my bosses 500 pages on, like, the decline of print journalism <laughs> to, like, alter their strategy because they'd laugh in my face, hmm. you know? You might be surprised at how often <laughs> things like that actually actually do happen <laughs> in businesses like this. Uh, Greg, this is fun. We appreciate it. Tell us, uh, you've got another minute or so. What else should we be on the lookout for? I know you're doing a lot of sort of writing, TV writing, et cetera. Where should we be looking for your stuff? Well, in terms of elite athleticism, got a big golf scramble coming up on Saturday. Oh, let's let's go, team! Uh, yep, uh, we're gonna win that one. Nice. Uh, I got a documentary movie project with Skydance about a story I wrote on the guy who takes athletes out of Cuba. Unscripted will be first. Mario Diaz is the director. Done a bunch of thirty for thirties. John cool. John Weibach, who did Air and The Last Dance, is doing the movie part of it. Uh, development deal with Netflix uh, for a documentary called Crossbow that Im- involves a murder with a crossbow. And I'm working on a doc with Boardwalk Pictures about a surfboard that floated from Hawaii to the Philippines during COVID. Huh thus connecting two strangers in a divided world. Wow. All right. Well, I'm excited about all of those things. You're a busy dude. I love it. He's Greg Bishop, and uh, find him on Twitter at SI or wherever else you find people these days. Just do a Google search, and then you can figure out everything else Greg's doing. Thanks, man. Love the stories. Love getting a chance to see you. Don't be a stranger. We'll do it again. Anytime, brother. It really is fun dude to talk to. I enjoyed that. Hope you uh, enjoyed it as well. And and seriously, go back, listen to the whole hour if you have some time. Go back, hear some of the stories, especially some of the early ones in the beginning of that hour. You can just find it at seattlesports.com or like wherever you get your podcasts, right? Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, all that stuff. Podmaster, is that a thing? Pod Blaster, Pod something, I don't know. How do you used to have all these weird pod things and I forget the names of them, but I'm sure we're there. And then you can hear everything that Greg Bishop had to say yesterday. All right. Coming up next, uh, went to the Mariner game last night. I've got seven observations for you. One is taste. One is sight. One is smell. All of them will be incorporated together next. Wow. Rock and Salt, Seattle Sports. A sensory experience on 710.